0: This episode is supported by ArcIT Section Cut, the interactive virtual conference from our friends at Monograph and Twin Motion. You'll hear more about them later in the show. How's the content business? Uh, it's
1: been good. You know, COVID was, you know, the shock, you know, to everybody. So it didn't it didn't make the business skyrocket. It kind of just slowed us down a little bit because we were growing, you know, a pretty good clip. So it still grew, but just not as fast as we were. So it was just kind of like a cool your jets and let's see where this thing takes us. Yeah, I was telling Gabe when I was talking to him earlier that the um, you know we get to, we see lots of data, obviously with the traffic with our software, and and the good news is since January it's been skyrocketing like faster than we've ever been. Moving wow. Into. So. That's a good sign. I think it's hopefully it's a little bit early indicator from hopefully. the sales and sales activity standpoint. And then you know if you just step back from you know I think there's going to be a lot of money pumped into construction you know infrastructure and construction over the next few years. So with you know, with that coming you can't I can't imagine that the business will be good in general. <laughs>
0: I would love to have a conversation today around the topic of the importance of content, maybe kind of frame it from a those who get it and those who don't kind of a point of view. And I think you could probably speak the most to both sides of that equation. I think that there's a lot of people out there who don't understand. You know, like I read this Twitter thread this morning, a very short thread, but it was like, why did you model a door? Like we already had doors in this project. And and the guy's like, those aren't doors. Those are detail lines. Like that's not a door and the guys like i don't have time to pay you to model doors. And so like this is still happening. And that's like the most basic example of of this issue and i and i, I totally get it from both sides of that equation. Like there's the part of me that says you got to look down way down the road. You got to have this kind of long game attitude about the purpose of BIM, the highest and best use of BIM, its potential. But then there's like this day-to-day incentivization of shortcuts and that's what drawings have always been grind yeah (laughs) and another layer of complexity on top of that is that drawings are an abstracted representation of design intent like Mm -hmm. they're not reality there's no metadata ever in drawings previously right (laughs) so a lot of people still have a hard time seeing that future potential value that that lives inside a, a model of detail and metadata and information Welcome to the Troxel Podcast. I'm Evan Troxel. Before I introduce my guest for this episode, I want to do a bit of housekeeping and ask you a small favor. I hope that you've been enjoying the episodes, especially recently. I really feel like I've been hitting a stride and I could use your help to build a little bit of momentum. First, please share the episodes with your friends and your network on social and in your offices, public networks, private networks. I don't care. Personal referrals are the best recommendations. Second, Please rate the show. I personally love seeing those five-star ratings. I'm not going to lie, but that is not all they're good for. This audience is smart enough to know that it helps the show get more attention from the great algorithm in the sky and in turn helps the show get recommended to more people. So wherever you listen to podcasts, whether it's Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever, please pause right now before you forget and give it a five-star rating. The episode will still be here when you get back. So that's it for housekeeping. Let's get on with the introduction. In this episode, I welcome Randall Stevens. Randall is the chief executive officer at Avail. You may also know of him from his first company, ArcVision, that he founded in 1991, which was and still is a software company specializing in 3D graphics, specifically RPCs, rich photorealistic content. That eventually led him to founding Avail, which is an architectural asset content management system. He's also the chair of the Building Content Summit, which is an event dedicated to improving BIM content by bringing together thought leaders from around the world of design, manufacturing, and software slash services. And in this episode, we talk about some of the more difficult problems in AEC, the struggle of different team members having different incentives, seeing both sides of the coin regarding drawings as representation versus the true potential of BIM, assets and liabilities, vulnerability, and so much more. I truly enjoyed this conversation with Randall, and I hope that you do too. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Randall Stevens. Randall, welcome to the podcast. Great to see you and hear you. Thanks, Evan. It's just been, it's been a while. Yeah.
1: Yes. Enjoy it. And always, always, you know, one thing I miss, you were asking before, before we started recording this, you know, what, what the last year, year and a half has looked like. And one of the things I miss the most, I'm probably a pretty social person. So I like, you know, miss the conferences and getting to see you know what I would consider friends industry friends that I would always run into at the various uh, shows and places that we would go so that's probably what I've missed the most
0: I was just saying that to myself the other day it was like I just miss going into an office for the people part of it and I I kind of ambivert like I I switch modes between introvert and extrovert the older I get I feel like the more I value my alone time Yeah. But man, I really miss that about being in the office. And, and you're right, the conferences. I think that's the last time you and I saw each other uh, was in person was either at Built or at AU or something. Probably, but, yeah, yeah. yeah and that, then, that yeah, crowd. I've been
1: doing I've been doing that stuff for so long. It's like yes, every time I go, it's probably just so I can see all of my friends, right, old yeah. friends, talk
0: shop, like we're getting ready to do. So let's start. Like you said, you've been going to conferences for a long time. Uh, why? What, what? Tell us how you, tell the audience how you got to where you are now with Avail.
1: I guess, how far back do we want to go? Take so the, as long as the, you want. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the history is, for those that don't know me, I, I'm i the founder, besides Avail, of a company called ArcVision, which has been around. I started that company back in 1991, as soon as I graduated from architecture school. So I've kind of been in the, that company started as a services company doing services work, but by the late nineties, we were in the software business and for what most people know us, uh, know us for. So, you know, really since the late nineties, as far as the business, I was always, you know, at conferences and at shows as a vendor and, you know, use that as a, as a way to, to, to be out and get to meet people. You know, the, the nice thing, from a business standpoint, about you know being in the software business, and we got into this relatively early in the in the '90s, and you can sell software to everybody in the world, right? Mm-hmm. So Use the internet and use all of that. But at the same time, I'm a I'm a social person too. It's like I, I need to be around, but I also think it it plays a big part in for for myself at least. I've justified the expense and going and doing these things that it's that you have to be around ultimately our customers, we talk to our customers incessantly, try to learn. I like to say, or think that I know enough to be dangerous. It's kind of like, right. <laughs> I think I know what I'm talking about, but I'm going to go out and test this against the real that's, world. Right? That's this it's whole like,
0: podcast, man. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> But it's true. And you know, there's the old saying that the older you get, the more you realize you don't know. And yeah. I think that's wisdom for sure. Right. And the kinds of things that we do, it's like on one hand, I could probably claim that I've become one of the world's experts on content management at least in the architecture engineering construction market but at the same time it's like I can also admit that I don't really know much because I don't practice I don't really know what's going on you know inside the daily workings inside of some of these firms so that's where we try to bridge you know, I say we—it's like my, not only myself, but the rest of the company. We try to, like, I'll I'll, I'll take my engineers to these conferences too, because I want them to be in front of the customers, and I right. want them to hear it, and I want them to see, hear, or smell the problems in the same ways that uh, that I'm experiencing that. So we've always made that. Uh, I've always uh, thought that that was an important um, aspect of what we do is to, in order to be, to do things that are relevant spend as much time around our customers and potential customers as we can. So we've usually do that through conferences and really for us, if you're, if you're, if you interact with us at these kinds of conferences and shows, we're usually not, we're not a very salesy company. We're very conversational about what we're doing. We're always just looking at, you know, can we sell a problem? So um, and I think you'll, we hear from our customers. They like that about us. They like the entire team that we've put together that we're, Easy people to work with, you know,
0: good Southern hospitality. That's kind of the business development model of, like you just said, hospitality. It's very much conversational and curious, like curiosity. I'm sure, like coming from that architectural background, you've got to be curious about the people that you're providing the service to, whether it's a building design or software, right? Like it is, and that's I think the that's best the, part of it. I think.
1: I think that's the thread. You know, there's a lot of people that will say some of the best people in the software industry and make the best software are actually people who are architects or you know were trained I never practiced I have a degree in architecture but uh but I think it's because the the thread that's there it's about process and and when you learn I wrote a piece for uh I graduated from the University of Kentucky and I'm sitting here at our offices which are located in Lexington Kentucky I wrote a piece for the alumni magazine uh, just in the last few months that came out. And I, I'm surprised they actually let me, and you have to be the right age to to get the uh, title, but I said, it's the process stupid, right? It's like, and so I wrote, uh, they wanted me to write a piece about, you know, basically to help explain to people that, Hey, when you study architecture, you don't have to just build buildings. You can go do other mm-hmm. kinds of things like what we've done. And you know, I've thought about this a lot over the years. I think it really is the process. And when you come from a design background and, and understand iterative design and critique and all those kinds of things that make good end product, it really doesn't matter what you apply that process to. It's a good process. So I think there's a lot to that. And
0: and by going to conferences and putting yourself out there and meeting so many people and just kind of having this open door attitude and policy about approach, approachability is you don't know where that rabbit hole is going to lead. I mean, there's, you're just open for business, right? (laughs) And that business, you might not know what that is. Yeah. Well, yeah. And those
1: conversations, you know, I also teach an entrepreneurship class and I've been doing that the last few years. And one of the things I talk to with the students when I talk about just starting something and and, you know, doing something new and being out there, whether that's inside of an existing company or starting something new is it's a very, you know, I described it. It's a very naked thing that you're doing because whenever you've got a an idea or something new, the only way you're going to know if it's valid is to test it, right? Which is you got to show it to people, tell it to people, see how they respond to it, and you know, you have to have thick skin. A lot of times, it's like either people aren't going to understand, you're not using the right language, but that's all just part of the process. And if you're good at it, I've I've claimed that I think the hardest job in the world. You want to guess what I'm going to say? Like, what's the like for me, the, the most respect I give for like probably the hardest thing I can imagine.
0: I, I'm dying to know. I, <laughs> I, I was gonna say raising kids. <laughs> I think well,
1: I don't have any kids, so I can't I can't claim maybe that is. I think being. I think being a comedian is probably oh, yeah, the, totally. the single hardest especially, thing that you can imagine. Especially today. Yeah, it's like yeah. you're you talk about being naked. It's like right. you're standing in front of a room trying to do what's really hard to do and to do it really well and to hold those people's attention for as long as some of these people do. It's like, wow, that's a really, really tough, super uh, vulnerable. tough job.
0: Yeah.
1: Very vulnerable. I mean, you talk about having to be like, check it at the door, right? <laughs> that's right. one of those, right? You can't be uh yeah, very, very tough. So I think a lot of the kinds of things that we do and, and, you know, anybody in any kind of a business that's, putting new things and new thoughts out there you have to learn how to uh take roll with the punches yeah take, take the feedback and try to feed on it and but i think architects are good at that in general
0: yeah i think there's a you come out of school with that hopefully i mean hopefully you you get that by going through school some people don't i i mean it's not a it's not a given but right I do think that that skin gets thinner the longer you're out of it too. (laughs) So it's like something you kind of have to remind yourself of and take a step back from that personal feeling that you get as a natural reaction, the very kind of lizard brain, you know, fight or flight mentality and say, wait a second, like, that's not what this is about. This is about the, the goal or this is about the project. It's not about me. It's hard to... Separate the personal from the... Yeah, well, you're the
1: steward of that
0: process, right? It's hard to separate it, but it's also hard to interpret that when it comes across sounding so personally, right? It, with so much passion, I think that a lot of times when people hear that passion, the, that emotion behind the critique, because people see the potential or they see, you know, I mean, yeah, they see the potential of it and it's not there yet. And it's like, but I've tried my hardest to get to this point. Don't you see? Like, I need the... I need you right. to validate Val- me right validation, now. Validation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's, uh, that's definitely, I've got, I've got some interns in here this summer and, uh, and you, you can definitely see there's different personalities that just need that validation. And, and unfortunately this is probably why I didn't have kids or maybe because I didn't have kids. I'm not like a big, I've just never had to do that. I've, I'm kind of driven by longer term goals. So mm-hmm. That's the other thing I think that's kind of interesting uh, about this kind of work is the you never see the impediments in front of you. It's kind of like, look, there's this long-term goal and it's going to be meandering and and I don't really care about everything in between here and the goal. And the reality is is the goal, you never get to the goal. So it's this kind of (laughs) perpetual, always something else a little bit further down the road. And uh, those are just, I think, probably personality types. I just happen to be one of those kind of people and uh but it kind of makes it evergreen I, I feel like I'm 24 perpetually even though I'll be 54 next month
0: <laughs> I I think that the concept there I haven't read this book but I've but I've seen the title and I've read the author's some of his other work and it's called the infinite game by Simon Sinek. And I know
1: who he is but I haven't read that book.
0: The yeah. Infinite Game is exactly what you're describing, right? There's no end in sight. It's we're we're in this for the long haul. We have the long-term vision. Yeah, we're going to make adjustments along the way to pivot to do whatever you want whatever however you want to describe that. It's going to happen. But it's like maybe that kind of fits with this model, this path that you're on, which is, you know, you started Arc Vision and and how did that, where did that path take its turns to get to where you are now? And obviously now is not the destination now is somewhere on the timeline, but it's going to go beyond now.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I've described the stuff that, that we're embroiled in now with avail as, you know, I can, I'm, I'm, you know, it really is building on all the years and everything that we learned, there's bits and pieces of this that I can track back to, you know, thoughts and things that we learned and formed over the last couple of decades. But, um, but also think that's like, I've told people, it's like, I think I could work on this the rest of my career, right? It's a big fat juicy problem. And uh, those are the, those are the things that I get excited about. It's like, Hey, you start wading in thinking you're working on one thing and then you discover, wow, this is actually a, a bigger i had no know, idea problem, <laughs> right and uh you know at that point it's like then you just have to decide how long do you want to work on it i like those kind of problems i like when there's big problems to be solved so,
0: so. when did you decide to kind of switch course i mean i assume that even at ArcVision, you probably switch course
1: oh yeah well that company as i said and you know still started around. It, started it at night yeah it's still around um Started at 91. It was a services company. So basically, you know, I was, I always track back and say it's, it's because I was born when I was born. So born when I was born and being the age when the personal computer kind of came around, I got interested in computers, right. Kind of junior high school age, mm-hmm. late, you know, 79, 80, 81 timeframe. And then in high school I was interested in it, go to college thinking I was going to do something around software computers and you know lo and behold there wasn't even such thing as computer science right so they put you in electrical engineering my personal story was i made it about three semesters and like what is this this has nothing to do with what i thought it was going to be not what i signed up for (laughs) and then switched architecture which you know in hindsight now was a great move but but got interested in the compu- you know combined in my interest and got interested in the CAD side of it and 3D modeling and visualization and all that. So when I started ArcVision, you know it was basically a services company where it was like hire Randall to do the stuff that you don't know how to do, right? Yep. So so you know grew grew that you know learned a lot just running a business and hiring people and figuring figuring all that out in the early 90s and then. What became the RPC product, which is what Vision's, you know, most people know it for, uh, you know, was just one of those things that I kind of figured out in the mid-90s. And, you know, by 98, we had turned it into a software product. And at that point, that kind of took off and over about an 18-month period, got out of the services business. And, you know, the, the the story there of running a business is whenever you're running a services business, cash flow is like your enemy, and especially when you've got employees, all of a sudden it's like you have software and you can sell this thing on the internet, you know, back in 1998 and take your credit card and that money's in your account in 24 hours. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, you know, the yeah, best thing service,
0: ever. <laughs> service versus product kind of epiphany yeah, right
1: there. So got to, yeah, made that transition right pretty quick and recognized it. So, you know, really now over the last 20, 22 years, 23 years, I've uh, been in the software, you know, business. Mm-hmm. So at ArcVision, you know, the story of Avail then is that, you know, with all the success of ArcVision and that, that product line, part of what we ended up always working on and developing were basically content management systems to manage content and to do those types of things. So at some point, you, you kind of wake up and you're like, wow, we're spending like all this engineering energy on content management. And, you know, I'm asking myself, like, how many other people are doing the same thing? So you start looking around at all the other software systems and saying, well, everybody's kind of half-assed doing it, doing it. And then there's obviously the problem inside the firms of of how they manage information and content. So, you know, I can trace back kind of the origins of Avail, at least mentally, you know, back to 2006, 7, 8 timeframe. And then we were building some new content management stuff at, there was a, there's a a part of the ArcVision platform called ArcVision Dashboard is what we called it. I was just on a call with uh, with one of our large customers yesterday, and telling them it was a group of them out in the LA area, and I was telling them I was like, you know, I can track the roots of this back to to people inside your firm because I was at AU one year and had our ArcVision Dashboard, and we were thinking about you know what ultimately became Avail at that time. And I was like, I stopped, stopped them in the hall and was like, Hey, I got to show you something and I want to pick your brain about it. And they were like, great timing. I've got it. We got a group inside the firm that's working on this. Let me get them introduced. So I can, you know, it's like, those are the way those, you know, back to the where we started the conferences and being around people and getting to you know grab 20 minutes of their time and talk about some of these things, you know, leads to all these other things that go on. So, so we, we actually were developing avail as a product, At ArcVision in 2015, 2016 timeframe, we went into beta in 2016 with it. And then it was, we were getting really strong, affirmative reactions to what we were doing. And so I ended up spinning it out into a separate company just so that we could have, have its own mission, needed to raise a little bit of money around it. It just kind you know clears yep. up concerns and does all those. Gives things. you some that's, focus, yeah. Yeah, so that's what happened. Is we spun it out into a separate company. So I've been you know leading the at the helm uh, since that with a veil. So I'm still very involved, maybe much to everybody's chagrin here <laughs> internally in the in the product side of it. But we've got a great team that we built here. Part of that story that I said I wrote for the for the alumni magazine was I've got. One, two, three, four. I think I've got five people here, including myself, that have architecture degrees that okay. are yeah. engineers that are on the engineering team. So we've got a very design minded engineering team. So it's been been fun. Got a good group.
0: So why have you chosen to stick with uh, creating products for architects? <laughs> what's uh, kept you what's kept you adjacent? That might be
1: that's a loaded question, right? Because I question okay. that all the time. It's like damn how you know, or would other industries, you know, be more receptive or faster receptive to some yeah. of these kinds of things? Uh, you know, I mean, I think that just goes back to it's my interest. It's like I love being around I mean, they're obviously some of the, the some of the brightest people that I know, right? Or people that are design in architects, engineers, designers. I think it's a noble, you know, they they tend to always be working on things that I think are largely for the public good and you know, very Civic-minded, I I think, is part of it. Being around that group of people, yeah, just affinity and interest, right? In the market, it's a huge market, right? So if you can figure out how to crack it, right? uh, You know, the numbers I've heard of global construction is like you know, fifteen trillion dollars a year. So it's like a huge, huge number. So now, if you, you know, the complicated part of it is, as a market, is it's very fragmented. There's It's infinitely complex, which is also why it's a fun problem to try to go try to solve. So from running a business, it's like, yeah, you get frustrated sometimes, but it's also doesn't mean you stop, right?
0: I think architects, too, are probably the most optimistic bunch out of a lot of those, right? Because we can imagine a better world and we're doing everything we can to do something about it. Even though there's a lot of cynicism, right? Because we've we've been there, done that. We've seen everything. Like there's nothing that surprises us (laughs) as far as what can go wrong on a project. And I don't know
1: that I don't know. I'll equate this to well, and and we can tie this maybe into the more specific content kinds of issues that and what we're doing and what we think we're solving. So even when I was running the services business, ArcVision in the early days the hardest thing that you could do right one you had to bid the project and i call it the artist dilemma yeah you're never done right and yep. this is the, i think this might be the architect's dilemma
0: design yeah it's design right?
1: you, you're yeah whenever you're designing you can never be done if you don't want to be done so it's hard to put that in a bid and and to and to think about it from a cost crunch standpoint even though that's reality
0: that's why the deadline exists right
1: Yep. So there, there's always deadlines. Yes, here's what we got to do. Puts lots of pressure on people. And I think that's why people get burned out and, mm-hmm. you know, just dis- disgruntled by it. You're not necessarily getting quote unquote paid for all the time that you put into it. Right. And all that kind of energy. So I'm not sure what the long, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that have great answers to how do you solve that. And, you know, plenty of people have obviously built businesses uh, around solving it. But my guess is, Having never run an architecture firm or design firm like that, they probably suffer from some of that same dilemma, which is we're never done. We kind of have this, you know, it's like we'll work until we can't, (laughs) and uh, or or there's no money there. At the same time, right? There's a project that has to be delivered. There's certain deliverables that have to go out the door. So it's a uh, it's a conundrum, right? Of of how to how to balance that. And uh, anytime there's design in it an artistic kind of flair <laughs> i think you probably run into that in into that
0: problem there's rarely mm-hmm. a time when when a project finishes early because if there's time still left it'll get used right sure yeah you're going <laughs> to consume it with something right and you don't get rewarded for being a good planner or or good with your time for for the most part you know generalizing here but if there's somebody on the team or leading a process that feels like more can be done because we we haven't reached the end of the deadline yet, then they're going yep. to push for everything they can to make that happen.
1: Yep. yep. So the way that uh, to kind of tie this into the content management, one of the, you know, so people, I'm always, the story story's always evolving about what is available or what are you doing? But, you know, one of the stories that we can tell is that when we started doing this, we were really trying to solve, you know, you can think about it as content management, library management. It's it's kind of grown. The mission always mm-hmm. grows and we've kind of taken on more, but everybody stores their information in a file system. So typically it's Windows file folders somewhere, and that's where all that information and data. And one of the ways that you know I've been able to think about this and describe what the industry's problem is and where there's tons of inefficiencies is if you think about Architecture and engineering firms are services businesses and the people that work at those services businesses all day long sit at their desk typically behind pieces of software that they use to encode. They create information, you know, they're knowledge workers, so they're taking their what's in their brain and they're putting it into something, whether that's a spreadsheet or a Word document or a PowerPoint file or a Revit model. They are encoding that information into through the software into files. And then those files are the work product. Mm -hmm. You know, really that's the output is uh, of the, of those service firms. And that work output then is the way you transfer that knowledge. And that today for the last 40 years has been do that and put those files over on this file system somewhere. So, you know, when you think of it through that lens, What we're doing is, it's no wonder why there's so much information being produced, right? That's what we, um, to some extent, get measured on and produce more. (laughs) We're exponentially producing more of that kind of information. And the bigger the firm gets, the tougher it is for people to know where all that information is. So really what we've been trying to do with Avail is that's the problem set that we've been trying to solve, which is can we do a better job of helping people... Find that information. We actually let the information stay in the file system, but we put a new front end on the retrieval. So I like to say, file systems are great for storage; they're absolutely terrible for retrieval. When you're talking
0: about like Windows File Explorer, they're great if you want to search. They're not great if you want to find. Right?
1: (laughs) Yeah, correct. So, so we we basically peeled that problem apart and said, you have to store your files somewhere. Let them get stored, and we've concentrated on solving the retrieval problem. How do you? how do you separate the files from the file system as far as how you want to search and organize and think about that information. And uh, ultimately the files still get stored on the file system, but we kind of build that bridge.
0: It's similar to a problem we're dealing with in our company. And it's, and it's that so, so like your file system analogy, it's yes, it's a mess, right? It's, and it's probably not just one file system. It's probably five. (laughs) It's probably multiple. Yep. It's probably in, in teams and it's probably in OneNote and it's probably an email yep. and it's, you know, it's in all, all the, in, and it's in a folder and it's probably somewhere else on somebody's personal. I perso- contend that's, ol- that's only going to
1: get worse too. That's going to ex- yeah. continue to explode. You're yeah. not going to get fewer places. You're only going to keep adding places. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, and it's just like websites, right? So this is the, the, what Google tried to solve and just said, you know, stop, stop searching on the website for the thing. Just come to us and we'll, we'll surface that information and provide a very simple user experience to do that um and so i think that also trained people i mean and mobile phones were were no help either right like you you don't have to be organized anymore there's on iPhones since they came out there's pretty much been no file system and nope. so it's just like every file is stored in an app and maybe you've backed it up somewhere else but probably haven't um and you just go through the global search box to find the thing that you're looking for. And hopefully the metadata points you in the right direction and the algorithm gets smarter at helping you find what you're looking for because it learns you over time. And that's basically what you're talking about, right? It's providing that front end, um, you know, magnifying yep. glass to look through to find the thing that you're, you don't care where yep. it's stored.
1: Yep. That's it. And, uh, I, my contention has been until, until somebody tells me I'm wrong that, uh, We're we're solving a very different search problem than say Google had to solve. So I think uh, to to some extent I can tell a story that says the problem that Google solved was relatively easy compared to the problem that we're working (laughs) on. Which you know if you think about a lot of times inside of an organization something exists like literally finding a needle in a haystack. It's Mm -hmm. like I know that thing exists. I have to figure out how to wade through all of this to get to that thing that I know exists. That's a very different search problem than what generally Google solves, which is, Hey, I'm typing in something I'm interested in. All they had to do was bring back something that you feel like met your demand. Oh, didn't know that existed. I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to that website. Or I'm you're, go not,
0: you're not explicitly looking for one thing. Exactly. So, it's, yeah. so
1: it's a, I haven't quite rep, I'm sure there's search experts that could say, Oh, that's, Yes, yeah. and you're talking about why it's like. Right. Uh, so I don't know what the, all the proper terminology to describe that. I'm, I'm kind of that. I kind of bumble my way into like expertise without even knowing what to call these things. And somebody that's like, you know, le- learned, you know, learned is that the right way? Uh, yeah. That that is uh, would probably tell me what, what what how to better describe that, but.
0: Well, you're just um, like an architect, right? You don't, you can't know everything about everything. You know uh, nope. enough to get you in trouble, like you said earlier.
1: <laughs> nope. But it's, yeah, it's a good, it's a good juicy problem that we're trying. To, and we've started calling. We put out uh, the latest uh, version of a release. We've been through kind of four major iterations, so we're in our four point X version of the of the software platform. So last fall, the, a lot of that work was uh, we began working a little more intently on the search part of it and we call it progressive search and kind of our contention is yes we want you to come and type something in about what you're looking for but that's probably not going to get you to the needle in the haystack what that is is the first clue to finding the needle in the haystack then can we bring back enough information to ask you a couple more questions that's the way i always describe Mm -hmm. it it's like look we need to now say hey you told me this but I need to ask you two more questions before I can help you to really narrow down to what you're looking for. So we, we've started calling that progressive search and it's this kind of like, Hey, you're never, you're probably not going to type in one thing and get to it. So anyway, it's an interesting dilemma. But Because you are
0: going for a specific result that, that does make a lot of sense.
1: A lot of times. uh, What's interesting though, when you look at, you know, we do, we capture lots of search uh, on the platform and obviously get to, you know, we can see what, what the what people are searching for across mm-hmm. the, the platform inside their own respective firms. Of course, the top terms are like literally the number one search term is door <laughs> yep. or some form of door. I've also, uh, I was just running the numbers on this. We captured, there was over, there was over 2000 different permutations of searches with the word door in it. Oh my gosh. So when you begin to think about how complex this is, right. And, you know we've been working on uh and i know you're doing work around the the, the manufacturer side of this about where that information is but that's part of where now we're trying to figure out like how can we you know if you've typed in something very specific you know how do you match that up and deliver the right information but my joke about the you know it's door window chair table and i'm like search the top search terms if you ask a third grader how to build a house or what you know what makes up a house that's basically the way people search for stuff yeah. Door, window chair
0: and it's it's incredible how smart search has gotten because our and again i think this goes like technology trains us or be you know i'm searching on my phone for something and i got fat fingers and there's a period in between every word instead of a I'm the uh, same way a space bar, a space <laughs> yep. a, or there's an at symbol, depending on which app I'm in. <laughs> so if I'm on Twitter, yep. every word has an at symbol in between, and it still can find what I'm looking for, even with typos in the words in between the periods. And yep. so obviously it's 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 been trained over time to.
1: Probably colon those things out and knows that
0: yeah. but it's also trained me now to where I go to an app and if I misspell something by one letter, and it can't find a result. I'm like pissed off. Right, right.
1: Yeah, well, yeah they should have better technology. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that, that's, uh, yes, definitely. When people do it well, it, it raises the bar. It really makes everybody have to, you know, get, yeah. catch up, get um, on board. Improve what they're doing. Right.
0: <laughs> this episode of Troxel Podcast is made possible by Twin Motion. What if you could visualize your building in a couple of clicks, remove months from the design process? or create a bridge between stakeholders to solve problems before they even come up. Our friends at Twinmotion offer simple, real-time visualization for architects. Their technology lets you view and edit your scene on the go in the same pixel-perfect quality as the final rendering. Twinmotion seamlessly integrates with other tools like SketchUp and Revit, transforming your BIM or CAD models into high-quality images, panoramas, VR videos, or presentations. Sound complicated? Well, what if I told you that Twinmotion enables anyone to present the biggest ideas in the easiest way possible, regardless of previous CG experience? To download your exclusive free trial, head to Twinmotion.link/trxl. That's Twinmotion.link, not.com.link/trxl. Monograph. Monograph is building a community of like-minded firm owners and operations leaders who are looking for solutions that align with their firm's values. On top of that, Monograph is building the only cloud-based practice operations software built exclusively for architects by architects. Monograph's easy to use and beautifully designed software allows you and your team to know in near real time, whether you are on pace to deliver a project on budget with Monograph, you and your team can plan project schedules, budgets, Role assignments, and team members all in one place. The best part of Monograph? It doesn't require a degree in finance to use. To experience the difference today, sign up for a free trial at monograph.com. And to underscore their commitment to the community, on August 12th, Monograph will be hosting their first ever virtual conference. It's called Section Cut. This one day event brings firm owners, operations leaders, and project leaders together to learn from success stories and workshops all with a goal of improving their business. Reserve a seat at SectionCut today by visiting sectioncut.com. And ArcIT. You may be doing IT yourself or have someone you trust doing it, so why would you even consider switching IT providers to make technology your competitive advantage anyway? Well, many of you don't feel like you're getting enough value from your current IT provider, Some examples of this include slow response times for critical issues, the inability of your provider to answer key questions that you have pertaining to your business, the same issues showing up over and over without long-term solutions to the root of the problem, and it's just likely that they're doing an okay job and you'd rather avoid a difficult conversation with the people already in place. Well, the truth is, okay doesn't cut it and the right IT provider can make a meaningful difference in your day-to-day work experience and in the bottom line of your business. It's also key to remember that you are in business to make money and the right IT provider can help. A great IT provider takes on the load of managing the transfer process so you don't have to worry about it and you can concentrate on running the business. They take on all the work with onboarding through the allocation of their resources and include you in the critical decisions along the way to minimize your time away from billable work. So, as business owners and architects, how often do we think about our IT provider? typically only when things go wrong and for many of us unfortunately this happens too often especially with the latest emphasis on remote work i know that i've had to deal with my fair share of it fire drills not pleasant arcit however is a very different kind of company they specialize in serving architecture design and engineering firms and their goal is to help you use technology as a competitive advantage this means that they understand your technology stack and they won't waste your time and money learning how your tools work within your process Combine that with industry-leading response times, proactive remote hardware management, and solid disaster recovery and backup solutions. That's something that everybody should be thinking of, honestly. And enterprise-grade security management. And yet, above all, these are just table stakes for a solid IT company. Arc IT goes a step further. They become your strategic partner when it comes to planning, budgeting, and integrating new technology into your business processes. So all of this sounds expensive, right? Nope. Because ArcIT is highly specialized for our industry, their pricing is on par or in some cases even lower than other IT providers. ArcIT is transparent and even publishes the pricing right on their website. Uh, speaking of their website, there's also something else you should check out when you're there, and that is their Design Under Influence blog and video series. Again, adding value to IT type solutions across industry, all good stuff. So your business deserves a competent, responsive, and proactive IT partner. Reach out to my friends at ArcIT for a free consultation. So go to get that's That's dot com, Arc like Architecture in the middle, and click Work With Us. So thanks very much to ArcIT for sponsoring this episode of the Troxel Podcast. And now let's get back to our conversation. Well, the 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 whole kind of bigger topic here that I I thought would be interesting to get into is the importance of content from your guys' perspective, because you see it all. And because, you know, I come from a firm that had five to six generations in it. And you're seeing this because you're in the, you're serving the whole industry that you're seeing it replicated over and over and over again. And like you even said earlier, like you're create, you want to create this thing. Who else is creating this thing? And, and, at some level, everybody's creating this thing. They're they're doing it for themselves. They're trying to find a way to organize this stuff and take their efficiency up a notch. And and there's other people in the firm who just see no value in that whatsoever. It's like, no, you just draw the doors, right? Like, you don't search for doors, you draw doors, period. And I saw this Twitter thread I was telling you earlier, but I'll say it again for the sake of the audience. I saw this short little Twitter thread thread that said that, Somebody's boss looked over their shoulder and said, why did you model this door? And it's like, we didn't have a door. Yes, there was already a door here. That's not a door. Those are detail lines, you know, to speak Revit parlance, right? So because one person who's older generations and has always done it that way says that's how we do it still, and they don't even really have a concept of the purpose of a door family and what that could mean later on down the road, kind of thinking the long-term vision purpose, potential of what BIM could be. (laughs) That's a very like shaky could, right? Because Mm -hmm. it would require lots of people to get a lot better at what they deliver versus this kind of incentivization for shortcuts, right? Which is our industry is based on because we sell time for money. And so the less time, the better. And so some people see standards as and I get I put content into this as handcuffs and other people see standards as freedom <laughs> and those two right. people sit next to each other at the same firm <laughs> so so how what do you guys what have you seen around that theme and obviously you guys are are doubling down and on content and smart I'm sure you want it to be smart content you want it to be content with some level of standards to it you want it to have some level of like, well, if I get this door and I get this window, I've got the same parameters or the right parameters. I've got the right level of detail. I've got the right kind of naming convention and keyword searching. And there's a lot of layers there. And then there's, there's the guys who are just like, what? No, like just draw the door and be done and move on.
1: Yeah, uh, so a lot of things packed in there, and some some yeah. of these, some of what we can talk about here are just things that I've heard right in some of these conversations with others. The the first thing that uh, that I'll say is that about seven years ago, 2014, a uh, guy named Parley Burnett. Uh, I don't know if you know Parley. He has a company called Iconic BIM. They have a product called Guardian now. Anyway, I got to know Parley. Actually, he he used to work at what a lot of times is considered our competitor, Unify, which is uh, another company that has a Revit content management uh, solution. But I got to know Parley when he was working there and he and I were the initial chairs of a conference called the Building Content Summit, BCS for short. So a lot of that, you know, kind of goes back to, I was wanting to learn and inject myself. So I just kind of got involved with helping to get that started uh, just so I could be around some of these conversations and learn. So the one, you know, we used to always joke around that building content summit that I'd say my takeaway from doing that, you know, every every year up until, uh, and in Europe, uh, up until COVID that, um, you know, there is no magic content. Our joke was there is no unicorn magic unicorn content. It's like content means a lot of different things to a lot of different people at a lot of different times in the process. And I think one of the challenges in the industry has been that people tend to want to try to... They either want to dumb content down to its lowest common denominator to serve the most, or they do the opposite, which is it's way overkill because they... you know, One easy way to think about bifurcating uses of content is, you know, what's needed for documentation versus what's needed for visualization, Mm -hmm. right? Which are, which are two
0: different, drastically
1: different things. And a lot of times, you know, you can look in Revit, you know, and even the way families are formed in Revit, they allow you to, you know, what's the graphic representation of this versus the 3d model. Um, but you know, there's just lots of challenges. So the first thing I'll admit is, I don't know what the answer to this is. All I know now is it's complicated enough that it's not as easy as people maybe, you know, want to make it out to be or, sure. or think it could be because as soon as you put on one hat and think, you know, everything, it's like, somebody's going to tell you, no, 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 That's no, there's not a
0: closet full of hats.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, that's <laughs> not what we want or need that. That leads me to, you know, another conversation that I had actually another, I don't know if, uh, I won't say his name, but another guy that I got to know through through working on that um, told me the story. The first time I met him, he's like, you know, he's an architect working in an architecture firm and, you know, said that he he went out. They did like uh, maybe assisted living homes, you know, kind of uh, residential facilities and stuff. He said he was out on the job site and he's like walking around looking, you know, they're framing and he's like looking at the way that this had been framed. He's like, that's not how we, you know, design this. So he's asked talking to the to the construction foreman or the, the the person running the crew. And he's like, he's like, Oh yeah, y'all draw, y'all been drawing that wrong for a long time. This is the way you actually build this stuff. And you know, it's this realization. It's like, just cause that's what we put on the paper doesn't mean that that's how it's actually, you know, somebody in the field knows better Yeah, and maybe does it. They just didn't tell you, right. They just ignore what you put on the piece of paper and they do it the way they know it's supposed to, should be done. Yeah. And then, Uh, related to that i was talking with somebody at a very large firm very very large firm and he told me this story about like he was like if i ever catch somebody you know putting bim you know lod level 500 information in this he was like we don't get paid you know here's what not only do they not get paid to do it his explanation was look we're only supposed to develop this information up to a certain point. At the point when you start putting more information in there than is supposed to be there, you cause confusion downstream because the person that's now inheriting that information maybe thinks that somebody did more than they, you know, did more than they were supposed to or is qualified telling to. me
0: how to do it, right? Yes, yes. So <laughs> it's
1: like when you start, you know, and that was, you know, having yeah. somebody... Again, back to, admittedly, I'm not the practitioner, but hearing people explain that, it's like, yes, the person in the field doing that work knows more about this than you do. Like, Mm -hmm. understand that and admit it. And therefore, maybe two lines for the door is enough. And it's the people that install those doors know exactly how this thing should go in there. And one, you shouldn't spend any more time than you need to. Let them do
0: their job. And then, you know. The whole idea of plans and elevations and sections are a, a representation of an abstracted level of representation and if you do get to that like you need enough detail to work things out but if you go overboard then you're telling someone how it should be done and that's not yep. your that's that's architects have decided that that's not their thing right you're not yep. allowed to do means and methods right so, so that's
1: yeah so that's you know i mean architects traditionally have used words like cartoon, cartoon sets. And, you know, like even in our design process here internally with the software, it's like we try to, I was just in a meeting um, yesterday or earlier today and it's like on a design meeting and it's like, I don't want to, I'm not going to prescribe the answer. I'm going to try to articulate what I think the problem that we need to be thinking about. There may be 10 different ways that we could come about solving that. I don't, I don't want to be, I could give you a couple of ideas, but I don't want that to be like, the stone i just want to make sure that we all understand that here's what the problem is that we're trying to solve and how to go about it so i think when you get into pieces of software and bim and things like revit the tendency is now to try to get maybe sometimes more detailed than you need to or you know maybe somebody else needs to solve that downstream so this is why it gets complicated about you know what kind of information should the manufacturers be giving you well right. it depends on what part of the process
0: i'm in as to what i need oh well, and every manufacturer is going to give me a different set of answers for that too it's yep. hard to square
1: well even you know when we first did the first year of the building content summit we had a hundred plus people in the room and uh, Aaron Maller, I don't know if you know Aaron. Aaron yeah, he was, was just involved. on the show. Yep. Yeah, Aaron was uh, Aaron was involved in that and uh, Parley, of course, that I mentioned earlier. And one of the things that we ended up doing, which I thought was a was a was was interesting, and was we said, look, let's let's break the building, let's make a graph that's the traditional building process, and then let's let's have the other axis, you know, besides time in this process, be uh, fidelity we used the, ended up using the word fidelity of mm-hmm. of information of model or of information uh, metadata or whatever that you're using, so what we did was we put those pieces of paper in front of all hundred people and said, We want you to plot out on this scale what you need at what time what time, and even that was interesting. Some people said at the very earliest right if you 've got a visualization hat on in the very earliest stages of schematic design and you're trying to show somebody something, you might want high fidelity model to look realistic. And then after you've kind of done some of that early work, you throw that away and you go back to like basics.
0: And you know, now you that we have some up. more understanding, we might start over. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But even in that room, right of a hundred people, I'd have to go dig and see if I could find that info. But it was like, not everybody agrees with what you need at different time. And it's really, I think a testament to the complexities of the different roles that people have, what they need or want at different times. And, you know, that makes content and what makes good
0: content, a hard, a hard thing to answer. Yeah. In black and white. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, interesting because there's so many levels to this that we could talk about. There's like you said, there's the purpose of the model and there can be team members who have different ideas about what that could be there's there's a principal in charge who's like it's drawings right to get agency approval period there's somebody else who's like no we're going to use this for commissioning for you know whatever sustainability status we're trying to achieve with the building then there's the visualization and then there's the energy modeling and there's all these different reasons right there's clash detection during the process and etc etc and so you've you've got One set of deliverables for an agency approval, which is 2D lines in a PDF or on paper, to which there is basically no metadata embedded within anymore. That is likely, you know, for for many decades past, is what they actually build from. And then there's this whole other direction that we're going toward, you know, call it digital twin, call it, you know, owner... um, Mm -hmm agency over their model in the future to run their facilities or whatever. And in the middle somewhere there is like you mentioned earlier, like, no, we don't build it that way at all. There's, we don't even ask the next piece in the process, what they need in this model Mm -hmm. or in this set of drawings. We just have this set of assumptions that we encode into everyone that goes out our door, because that's our QA QC process. Right. Right. Man, that's a messy, messy puzzle. Oh Yeah. Yeah. It's really complicated.
1: You can look at that as that's the fun part is to yeah. try to start to crack, you know, crack that apart. And,
0: it's a wicked problem, right? And there's some people who are, yeah, it's a really wicked problem. There's some people who are up for it. it
1: could be frustrating problem, <laughs> <laughs> right? It's a frustrating problem too. Uh, just because of that. The other, uh, the other thing that, that I've uh, kind of tossed around, which I kind of, around that building content summit, I had uh, had proposed a couple of times that I thought an interesting uh, talk or uh, session would be, I wanted to have two people debate. And this is, you have to kind of put your business hat on to think about this, but you ask people, is your content an asset or is it a liability? Basically, is where is it on your balance sheet? Because it's- It's, it's like home it's ownership. There, I guess. It's definitely. A, <laughs> yes. Well, I have that debate with people too, all the time, right? But it, it's a good way to kind of really back up and say, root cause, what are we trying to do? When you talk to most people about their content and from that standpoint, like reusable assets, things that they build and maintain your door model and all those types of things, they act and treat them like assets, very protective.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. Hey, that's ours. We're not sharing that with anybody. That's, that's intellectual property. It's an asset that's on our balance sheet, but in practice, the way you see almost every firm operate is this stuff becomes liabilities. And at that point, it's like, is this really what you're building? Is this really where you're building value in your business is from that? Or are those things really liabilities? If they're liabilities, then there should be this call for like sharing, right? It, 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 a shared I liability. Hate, I hate yeah. to think about how many times people have modeled the same oh, stuff. My yeah, exactly. Oh my god! Like how many millions of man hours could be um, could be you know used more productively than redrawing the same thing. So within firms, we see this a lot. It's a lot of the re- justification uh, inside firms for using things like Avail. We want our employees to reuse assets as often as possible. I don't want them. And they can't find it easily to go spend time redoing it because then you've got QAQC potential new QAQC problems with it. Regardless of spending the time to, to to draw it again, right? You introduce all kinds of potential error and those types of things. So you know people want to reuse this. Well, if you're reusing a lot of stuff, really, then I think you got to take another step and say. Is that door where we hang our hat on our value? It's like, no, just buy a good standard set of doors, right? Why isn't everybody using the same set of standard doors? It's like.
0: Well, and to further complicate this, people are downloading crap from the internet, right? Like how many times have you heard the story about a Revit City model uh, working your Revit model for seven days with five people working on it? And to complicate things even more, it's like, well, okay, I'll just go back to my last project and copy that broken family out of it. And guess what? It's broken in this project now, and it's broken in the next project, and it's broken, broken in the next yeah. one. And there's a there's a huge liability internally as, you know, finding content from an old project that you thought was just fine versus downloading something from the internet that has a screwed up parameter in it that takes down your whole file for a few days or a few hours. Yep, yep. So, I'll
1: tie this into some of the things, uh, another quick story, and then kind of, you know, some of the things that we're just
0: to be clear we should draw doors out of detail lines. That's what I'm getting at. Right. It's like (laughs) copy paste. (laughs) Uh, I had, I've got another client that's actually uh, kind
1: of a construction company and integrated, you know, design internally. And one of the stories that they told me early on was that they had a, you know, like every company, you end up with problems in the field, you build things and find these problems. So they began a process to try to capture that knowledge, right? When we find a problem in the field, like... Uh, a leak leak in the roof, what's causing this? What's the root cause? Well, ends up that there's, you know, a roof design, a roof system that they're using and, and somebody's using either wrongly or maybe it's even in the drawings wrong, but something's penetrating the membrane and causing these leaks. So they spend time, go out and, and learn that. So then they begin to try to capture that information and they had started an internal database of lessons learned, right? Like, hey, here's a problem, you know, that we've encountered don't do it again. Well, then the frustrating thing inside of those firms is like, it doesn't go away. And, you know, when you, when you peel back that problem, I'm like, look, you put this knowledge in that knowledge base, but it's disconnected from what people are actually doing every day. There's no, there's, there's no rational person who's going to say, Hey, I'm going to go read through all of the potential problems and just to see. So, what that got me thinking about and some of the stuff that we're doing at Avail now is we're trying to, what really needs to happen is when somebody is using a detail, right, that, that matches to that problem and it's brought onto a sheet, right then is when you want to pull that information to that person and Red say, flag. hey, yeah, right. And right now, all of our content, right, when you think about that lessons learned databases content, the Revit The Revit detail is a piece of content in the library. You know, all of this is, all of this content lives in different databases. They're in different file systems. They're in different places. So one of the things that we're working on now is, is how to begin to connect those databases. Yes, that information needs to live over there for that's what that system's for, but these things need to be connected. And, and from a technical standpoint, there's no reason we couldn't begin to connect them. So that's some of the problem that we're working on now is like, hey, content, we've kind of tackled at least the first stage of like, hey, we're pretty good about the individual pieces of content. Can we now figure out how to start connecting these things together? Because really that detail is a concept. Yes, it's a it manifests itself in a Revit model, maybe a PDF document, but there might also be uh, photos that were taken off on site somewhere that live somewhere. There might be this lessons learned database that needs to be a connection to that. So how do we, how do you begin to pull all this stuff back together on behalf of the end user yeah. that says, oh, I didn't stand a chance in hell of ever finding that because yes, it was in that system, but there's just no way I ever would have, no. they're just disconnected. So yeah, I think that's a big problem in the industry is we it's not that we lack information it's this information is all disconnected so it's it's unstructured yeah unstructured data, uh, it's all disconnected. Yes, we put this stuff in file systems and in databases, but those aren't connected in any meaningful way that a human, <laughs> right, stands a chance of, of, of catching that or, you know, it's just very, very inefficient right now where all that is. So, so you can probably tell from my voice, this is some of the stuff that we're working on now. This is kind of exciting is how can we start to connect that information so that, you can now make people more productive. They can catch those problems earlier. Um, this information can can have a life that stays connected, you know, beyond these individual pieces of content. Most of the time, individual pieces of content they go in archive storage, and nobody ever looks at them again. But yeah. I think if you can start to connect it up, you know, it'll it, it'll have more more value over longer periods of time. I guess would be the way I'd describe that.
0: I think this has come up a few times in the past few years about. You know, people see potential for connecting these things together, and the it's funny because the the snarky solution, the snarky response, has been, "Oh, this was solved a long time ago. It was just ahead of its time, and that was Microsoft's Clippy." Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. You're right. trying to. Are you going to write a letter? Let me help right. you with that, right? right. And right. it's like right. it recognizes some kind of pattern, pattern and yep. and then it it sets off a, an impulse to go look for something, and it brings it back. Hey. This might be relevant to you right now. And that's kind of what we're talking about. No,
1: I think yeah. And it'll just hopefully be a better implementation of what was his name? Clippy. Clippy Clippy. the dancing clip. Yeah, the
0: you know, (laughs) the the little paper clip. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean I think and this is part of that, you know, what I described earlier is kind of what we've been calling progressive search, but it's really augmented design. Totally. Like how how do you how do you know if we can be predictive about what you're doing or recognize those patterns? Can we bring you the next piece of information that you need or something that's related? Because if you think about it, we're we we probably spend half of our days as information workers on the journey trying to go find or get that information from these systems that they live in, and I've described. You know, I haven't actually said this in a while, but I talked about a lot about in I I refer to it as inverting the web. It's like, yes, Web 1.0 was that all this stuff's out there, and now you can go go to it. The opportunity now is to now that we've got this stuff digitized and can start to structure the information. There's no reason why we can't start bringing that information back to you based on. being in a position to see the signals and watch what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And I think if you can start to do, you know, it can sound creepy. People, you know, can either creep out on those kinds of thinking, but there's no doubt that this is what, where this stuff's going to start leading. And that is, and, and, you know, the way services are, I mean, look at Amazon, as soon as they start doing stuff for you and they set, move the bar, it's like, you can't live without it. It's like, Oh you thought 3 day delivery was good. Wait till I can, you know, put it on a drone and get it to you in an hour, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh you'll get addicted to that very quickly and that'll be the expectation for everything. And um I think a lot of what we're discussing here fits into that same. It's like as soon as We do start to be able to give you a little sense of that. It'll be like, give me more. (laughs) You know, I don't have to go on those wild goose chases. We've been, we've had uh, a couple of partnerships. One of which we put an announcement out a couple of years ago, and this is this is all slow coming. So, um, but with Underwriters Laboratory, and that's a great example where they've got sustainability data, all that fire safety data. It's like, why do I have to go if I'm sitting in Revit? working on a two hour fire rated door and, and we're sitting in a position where we know that, why couldn't we automatically query that database and bring that information to you pre-qualified? Mm-hmm. It's like, why do I have to go off on the wild goose chase through another content management system to go right. try to find this stuff? So, so that's kind of at the root of a lot of the stuff that we're trying to work on and the way we're thinking about what we're doing. Uh, the content just becomes the first part of the signal. And then can you begin to layer in and attach information to that and know something, right? Get smarter
0: over. Yeah, and I think a lot of those a lot of the things you're talking about, when you do go off on that wild goose chase, it's full of distraction. And it like I've said before, like you some somehow you don't even know how. You just ended up shopping for shoes. Like you were going to the UL (laughs) website and now you're buying a (laughs) pair of shoes. And it's like that's a very real thing. And so not only are people spending the time looking for that, but they're also getting time stolen from them because advertising is really good at what it does. And that distraction is very real and there's things flashing on the screen and there's extra buttons popping up and they're the first five search results are actually ads anyway. And all these things where what you're really talking about is putting the the layer of exposure right into the tool that they're working in so that they can actually be more productive and you can get rid of that whole layer of distraction.
1: Yeah. And I think, You know, the lofty goal is can we take the more mundane things out of the equation, right? The things that, you know, in hindsight people would be like, Yeah, that was my job to do all that. It's like, well, sheesh, wouldn't you rather have been designing? It's like, you know, can you can you start to drag along all the more mundane things and make those things go away and freeze up more time? Maybe, maybe the freeing up more time is to uh, start playing guitar or something. That's what Go, I started doing. Get away course. from the got office. Got my guitar. Yeah. <laughs>
0: right. it's like,
1: yes. uh, do, do something else with your time or or design more or get more building out the door faster. Who knows, right?
0: Well, Randall, where can people find out more about what you guys are up to and and follow you guys online in your journey? Yeah, thanks, Evan. Um, so for those of you that aren't
1: familiar with AVAIL or know with the website, it's getavail.com. If I wanted to get avail.com you could actually go buy it or buy it for me. That would go. be the nice gift you know, it's Put a, a few saw- bucks in the tip sought after yeah so we uh <laughs> we ended up using uh getavail uh, dot com so you can go learn about the product on that front and we have a blog um you know I'll write I try to write something every couple of months, uh, kind of around these kinds of topics at at the higher level. And we're always doing webinars. And if you're involved with what we do, I'm, I'm out doing this kind of stuff all the time with our customers. And I don't keep many secrets. I'm pretty much always just, you know, blurting out what we're thinking and what we're working on. So. Fantastic.
0: Well, thanks for taking the time and for being so open and sharing today. It was super fun. And I I appreciate the conversation. Let's do it again sometime.
1: Nope. Thanks for inviting me. Enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for listening to the Troxel Podcast. And once again, I would like to thank ARC-IT for sponsoring this episode. Visit their website at getarchit.com. Thank you to Twinmotion for their support of this episode of Troxel Podcast. You can visit twinmotion.link slash TRXL, or I've made it easy for you. Just click the link in the show notes and download your copy of Twinmotion for free. I'd like to thank Monograph for their support of this episode of the Troxel Podcast. To reserve a seat at their first-ever interactive virtual conference, visit sectioncut.com today. This show is part of the Gable Media Podcast Network. You can see all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. You can help support what I'm doing here by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts to help get the word out and of course, share it with your friends. I'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment on the website at trxl.co slash podcast where you can find every episode. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram and YouTube. Just search for eTroxel. Talk to you soon.